Thank you, Luke. Uh, welcome to Church Online. Thank you for being with us this morning. Um, isn't the Bible just a load of made-up stories? That's the question we're going to be tackling this morning. Isn't the Bible just a load of made-up stories? Well, I hope you won't mind. I'm going to start uh, this morning with a little word on the subject of stories, because I remember as a child getting my dad to read the story of William Tell at bedtime to me over and over and over and over again. I still have the picture in my mind of the shiny green apple on top of his son Walter's head as his dad shoots his crossbow through the center. Sadly, my daughter Darcy is now also at the age where the same story never gets dull, no matter how many times I read it. But it is a lovely age as well. I often catch her at turning pages of a story, telling herself the story as she looks intently at the pictures. I wonder if you have got memories of a particular story growing up. Maybe you're enjoying reading one right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a gripping Netflix series or something on Amazon Prime. Maybe you've got a favorite story of all time. I think it's fair to say, though, that as human beings, we do love stories. It might be hearing them. It might be telling them. It might be listening to them. In some way or another, we love stories. There's something about the way that a story can communicate a deep truth in a really engaging way that draws us in. As human beings, we love stories. We connect with them. Throughout history, we've used stories to communicate in so many different ways. So when it comes to the Bible, the first thing that I want to say is, would it come as a surprise that God might choose to communicate with us, human beings, his creation, in a way that we understand, in a way that we enjoy, in a way that we remember, in a way that we love, and in a way that we learn. In fact, I believe that our connection and love for stories and for storytelling comes from the fact that we are in fact made by the master storyteller. So when someone says that the Bible is a load of made-up stories, apart from the made-up bit, I wouldn't say that they were terribly off the mark. The Bible does, among other types of literature, contain some amazing narratives. It also contains letters. It contains poetry, law, prophecy, and biography. And before I go any further, that's a really key point that actually I think is worth tackling quickly now. I think so many problems that people have with the Bible often come from the fact that they might read, for example, a poem, but they'll read it as a biography. Or they might read a letter as though it was prophecy. You see, genre is really important when it comes to reading different books of the Bible. When we read different parts of the Bible, it's important to know what genre we're reading. As I say, the Bible contains plenty of narratives, 
there are some really amazing stories. You wouldn't have to be a Bible scholar to know some of them. Noah and the flood. Moses and the ten plagues. Jonah and the big fish. David and Goliath. Daniel and the lion's den. Just to name a few. All very famous stories from the Bible. And all sadly, stories that are just often dismissed as folklore and fairy tale. And I've got a couple of responses to this issue of the Bible being a load of made-up stories that I'm hoping might be happy, uh, helpful for us this morning. The first response I want to make uh, this morning is this, that uh, the Bible, as a historically reliable text, the second response I want to make is about how we read the Bible. And then I just want to finish by looking at the Bible, not as lots of little stories, but as one big unified story. So firstly, when it comes to the historical reliability of Scripture, the Bible stands head and shoulders above what many of us would take as reliable written documentation of the past. We simply wouldn't have time this morning to dive into the details of the historical accuracy of Scripture, but I can and I would urge you if this is something that you do really struggle with, pick up one of the two books that will come up on the screen in a second, or pick up both of them, in fact. One's by a guy called John Dixon. It's called A Doubter's Guide to the Bible. The other uh, by a woman called Amy Orr Ewing, called Why Trust the Bible. Now, they don't pretend to be the most detailed forensic analyses of the Bible, but they would be a great place to start and would cover a lot more than I've got time to this morning. But very briefly, when it comes to the ancient manuscripts, uh, the Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce states this. He says, there is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. He's including here the, the writings of Plato, Homer, Caesar. And in regard to the Old Testament, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in 1947 revealed just the astonishing accuracy with which Old Testament manuscripts were copied over a period of more than a thousand years. When it comes to historical scrutiny, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, its consistency, its reliability, have stood and they continue to stand up to even the most ardent skeptics. Casual throwaway statements like, well, the Bible isn't just historically reliable, shouldn't go unchallenged. A brief response to, to the very question we're thinking about this morning, uh, I found uh, by Billy Graham. He really helpfully said this, I don't know of a single serious scholar today, believer or unbeliever, who would claim that the Bible is simply a collection of myths or fictional stories. The Bible is rooted in history, and from one end to the other, it recounts real events in the lives of real people and recorded by real eyewitnesses. 
as one of the New Testament writers declared, we do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Secondly, when it comes to dismissing some of the popular Bible narratives like Noah's Ark or the Exodus from Egypt as just made-up stories, the argument can and often does go that we're not really reading the Bible properly as it's meant to be. It kind of goes like this, that, that biblical authors shape their stories to make a point. So really, they're not objective communicators And people arguing this point are actually right. They're correct. We shouldn't view uh, historical accounts and assume that history was done in exactly the same way back then as it was done today. There's one critic in particular who, who argues that storytelling is a better way of understanding what the Bible is doing with the past than history writing. And he states that in the ancient world, historians would often decide what to include, what order to put things in, how to compress or combine scenes to save time. And he's right. They would. But that is not to say, and it clearly makes no logical sense to go from that position to saying that the accounts are just simply untrue. So back to the question we're thinking about this morning, isn't the Bible just a load of made-up stories? Well, I hope in what I've said so far that I've been able to show at least in part that yes, the Bible does contain many, many stories, as well as various genres of text. And that these texts and stories can be placed in history. And that we need to read the Bible in a way that it was intended to be read. It simply isn't good history to dismiss the stories as made up. As I say, there is so much more that could be said on those subjects, on the reliability of the Bible, how we go about reading it. Um, Those books by John Dixon and Amy Orr Ewing, I would recommend getting hold of if you want to go a bit further. But I just want to spend a bit of time, uh, finally this morning, thinking about the Bible as one unified story, one unified story. That's widely recognized today that stories, fairy tales, myths, legends, films, all follow at least one, but maybe several, of what's known as the seven basic plots. If you're up for another read, I can point you in the direction of a pretty hefty book all about these seven basic plots. But in short, if you've not heard of them before, the seven basic plots are as follows. We have Overcoming the monster, we have rags to riches, the quest, the voyage and return, the comedy, the tragedy, and we have the story of rebirth. Like I said, many good stories will use several of these basic plots in their storyline. Pick a story that you love, and you will find at least one of those plots working its way through its pages or its scenes. I've recently enjoyed introducing Darcy, uh, my daughter, to Moana. Um, Moana's currently my favorite Disney film. It does change over time, but Moana's been up there for a good few years now. Um, And it's a classic combination of the quest 
and overcoming the monster and the voyage and return plots. But whether it's a Disney epic or an average cartoon, if it's Homer's Odyssey or the Norse and Roman myths, you can trace these plots, seven basic plots, in all of them. And you know what? Even in the Bible, we can trace these plots. You might not have read uh, the book of Ruth, but uh, take the book of Ruth just for a second. It's a small book uh, near the front of the Bible, and it's the classic rags-to-riches Cinderella story. A friend was talking to me about this earlier this week. See, in the Bible, Ruth is a widowed servant girl living with and taking care of her mother-in-law. She has a servant heart, and she works hard collecting leftover grain in a barley field. Then one day in the ballroom of the barley fields of Bethlehem, she meets her Prince Charming, a man named Boaz, and they eventually marry. It's a beautiful story, but what makes it more beautiful than Cinderella is that it's true. As I said earlier, is it any surprise that every story we ever encounter echoes, at least in part, the ultimate story written by the ultimate storyteller? Incidentally, the child of Boaz and Ruth, a man named Obed, he became the father of a man named Jesse, who became the father of a man named David, uh, of Goliath fame, uh, whose lineage, as we see at the start of Matthew's Gospel, continues right through to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And that leads me to where I just want to finish up this morning. You see, what is so incredible about the Bible is that even with all these small stories and subplots going on within the individual books and within the individual chapters of individual books, the Bible itself is one unified story pointing to one man, namely Jesus. The film industry has made millions over the past couple of decades with their origin stories, probably billions actually, uh, from the Saving Mr. Banks insightful look at where Mary Poppins came from, to Wolverine, where we go back in time to learn of James Howlett's life-changing interaction with adamantium. If that makes no sense to you, after you've watched Moana, watch X-Men Origin Wolverine. These origin stories are so often vital to our understanding of the character and behavior of a particular hero or villain that we know or thought we knew. A guy called Glenn Scrivener, whose short video I'm going to show at the end of this, says how Jesus, the man we see in the Gospels, has his own origin story to set up the drama that we see in, the, in his death and resurrection. He says, in order to understand Jesus and what he came to do, the Bible has 39 books of backstory, what we call the Old Testament. You see, the Bible as one unified story has a focal point in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And more than anything else this morning, I want to say that it is yours and it is my response to this man, Jesus, that matters more than anything else in life.
And you might say to me at this point, well, the same question stands. Aren't the Gospels just a load of made-up stories? Well, let me take you back to the words of Billy Graham. In his same response that I quoted earlier, he goes on to say, I don't know of a single serious scholar today, either believer or unbeliever, who would deny that Jesus existed, that he walked the roads of Palestine in the opening decades of the first century. They would agree that the evidence is simply too overwhelming to come to any other conclusion. Luke, the third biographer of Jesus' life, makes it so clear in his opening paragraph that he has gone to great lengths to make sure that what he is writing is true and accurate. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And of course, you might say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were all just lying to get people to follow Jesus. But Christians down the ages have suffered enormously for their faith. And don't get me wrong, there are millions of people throughout history who have died for a cause that is not true. But would those early eyewitnesses really be prepared to die for something that they knew wasn't true? That they had simply invented? Concluding his response to the very question we've been thinking about this morning, isn't the Bible just a load of made-up stories? Billy Graham finishes by saying this, the real issue for you is this. Are you willing to face the evidence, wherever it might lead you? Or have you closed your heart and your mind to what God wants to teach you? Only you can answer this. But don't deceive yourself and don't turn your back on God just because you want to run your own life. Many, many critics of Christianity and of the Bible and of Jesus have never opened up a Bible or read one of the Gospels from beginning to end. Others have read the Bible in part and then, like those street artist caricatures, they take a feature or a half-truth and they blow it out of proportion. Dare I challenge you to not be like those critics? Dare I challenge you to read one of the Gospels from start to finish? Mark's the shortest one if you want uh, something punchy. But so that you can see for yourself the claims of Jesus, who he says he is, what he came to do, and what that means for you today. The part of the Bible that was uh, read out by Luke earlier this morning, I thought was fitting to go with the question we're looking at today. Because if the Bible is a bunch of made-up stories, and in particular, if Jesus' death and resurrection didn't actually happen, then like Paul says, my faith, Christians throughout history, their faith is useless. It's futile. More than that, I don't know if you caught it as, as Luke read it, but Paul says we're to be pitied 
more than anyone else in the world. But as Paul states, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that changes everything. The video that I'm hoping you'll be watching in just a second has an accompanying short book called Love Story, The Myth That Really Happened. I'm going to read a section of the opening chapter, and then I'm going to finish by praying. It says this, on the 19th of September, 1931, C.S. Lewis was speaking with his great friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings. Mr. Narnia was chatting with Mr. Middle-earth. At this point, Tolkien was a Christian, but Lewis was not. In fact, Lewis had a big problem with Christianity, namely the Easter story. He didn't understand how the death and resurrection of Jesus related to the rest of Christianity. In answer, Tolkien directed Lewis back to all the myths that he had loved growing up. Didn't Lewis appreciate the ancient stories of the dying and rising gods? Didn't he see how those myths worked on his heart in a profound way? Yes, indeed, Lewis was deeply moved by such stories. Well, declared Tolkien, Christianity is the ultimate story of the dying and rising God. But Lewis countered, all those stories are just myths. They aren't true. In a memorable phrase, Lewis called them lies breathed through silver. They are beautiful, but ultimately empty. How would Tolkien respond? Well, he shocked Lewis with his answer. No, said Tolkien, they are not lies. This was earth-shattering for Lewis. If Tolkien was right, then there is such a thing as a real fairy tale. There exists a grand story that lies behind all other stories, namely Easter. Easter is the ultimate and original myth, the myth that really happened. Lewis had thought of myths as silvery lies. When examining the Jesus story, he found it to be solid, Old truth. More than this, he found it to be the fulfillment of all other stories. In Jesus, and in particular in his death and his resurrection, Lewis discovered an answer to his heart's cry for meaning, joy, hope, and love. So, is the Bible a load of made up stories? Well, C.S. Lewis discovered the greatest true story ever written was, in fact, the Bible. And the great thing is, it's not finished yet. Jesus has made a way for you and for me to be a part of the ultimate happy ending. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much that your love story is not yet over. Thank you that you promise to make yourself known to those who seek you, who seek you right now, today. Thank you that you are standing at the door of our hearts and are knocking. Thank you that if we hear your voice and open the door, 
you promised to come in and eat with us. Lord, help us to open our hearts to you afresh today. Amen.